0: Your Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, You are worthy. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. We want our lives to be all about Your goodness, Your greatness, and Your glory. We bow our hearts before You in this time of worship today, knowing that someday every tribe and tongue and people and nation We'll bow before the great heavenly throne. We'll say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. For you gave your life that we might live. We'll cast our crowns at your feet to say you are worthy. Oh, great King Jesus. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for giving us faith. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for the hope that you give. Now, Lord, we pray. Send forth from the heights of heaven, from the right hand of the Father, the fullness of your Holy Spirit to come and teach us and speak to us and heal us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we've got a diagram on the screen here. Um, it's a chemical molecule. I'm wondering if anybody recognizes it. It's actually the chemical molecule for caffeine. <laughs> Praise God. It's like, so there's a cup of coffee right there. Does it make your mouth water just a little bit looking at that? Mmm, mmm, coffee, right? Well, I mean, I have to say, and forgive me for this, I'm not a coffee drinker in Seattle. I mean, I'm a, I'm a tea guy. I know, I know, I know. Heresy, heresy. Here come the tomatoes. Um, So if you, and I know many of you are coffee drinkers. So if you're going to help me understand the joys of coffee, um, this is one way. You could help me understand coffee, right? You could, you could show me this diagram, and you could go, George, there's a cup of coffee. Could tell me about the atoms and the uh, chemical bonds in there. Tell me all about nitrogen, and there's like a little uh, 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 carbon in there, and you know, C8, H10, N4O2. Oh, yeah. The periodic table of elements, ah, nitrogen, coffee. I get it. Right? That's one way. You could help me understand the joy of coffee. Another way, though, would be, and you probably would choose this, brew a cup of coffee. (laughs) right? You could put it under my nose, and the aroma would begin to fill the room, and I'd see this rich, beautiful mocha color. I'd feel the heat as I hold that cup in my hand, bring it to my lips, and there it goes running down my throat, this warm, syrupy goodness. And then I go, oh, that's coffee. right? I get it. Well, St. John in his first epistle says this, we tell you what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Saint John says that because he knows one way to understand God is through words and symbols and concepts, you know, like ultimate reality, unmoved mover, ground of our being, these phrases. But there's another way and that is to hear, to see, to touch even as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians to smell the aroma of Christ. Because what John knows, he's come to believe, the startling truth is that God has come to us with a body. In a human nature, God has come to us first in the person of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, and secondly in the people of Jesus, what the Bible calls the body of Christ. The body of Christ. See, so the lesson of the coffee diagram is that it takes a visible body to experience an invisible God. I want to think with you about that today. We've been reflecting for these last few weeks uh, on the New Testament story of Peter and Cornelius. This story, I believe, shows us what it looks like to experience God in a visible uh, community, and to help other people experience God in a visible community. So let's turn to Acts chapter 10, we'll look today at, at Acts 10, 21 through 24, and actually I'd like everybody to turn there so that you can read aloud with me. If you're able, would you stand? Uh, in the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 894, and, you're in, uh, and you'll have to look down the page a bit to find Acts chapter 10, verse 21, and then we'll read down to the bottom verse 24. And uh, when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. So Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man." Who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. So, if you were here with us last week or you were watching the live stream, you saw that we have two men, both behind closed doors Cornelius and Peter. But now, as you just read, the doors are starting to open and the people are coming out. So, catch this principle right from the top. Nobody goes through a door alone. Nobody goes through a door alone. Let's think about that. So first of all, Cornelius, he sends three people through his door up there in Caesarea Maritime. So here's how this happens. Remember, uh, Cornelius, is, he's not a follower of Jesus. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman soldier. And he is a man of faith. And as he's praying one day, an angel appears to him in a vision and tells him to send men down 35 miles down the coastline to a little town called Joppa, ask for a guy named Peter and have those guys bring Peter back up to you. And so he picks out a soldier, he's a a centurion, so he picks out a soldier and um, two servants and sends them through his door. So there they go three men through Cornelius' door. And Peter, he sends six uh, people through his door. Uh, Down in Joppa, actually, it's not Peter's door. That's just where he's staying at the moment. But here's how this happened. So Peter, you know, the fisherman turned apostle, is on a little tour of towns outside of Jerusalem. He's made his way down towards the coast and he's in a town when he gets word that in the town over, which is Joppa, a woman has died, her name is Dorcas. And they call, they say, Peter, would you come over? So Peter goes over and he finds this little Christian community grieving, a little house church and he goes inside, and there's a miracle. Jesus resurrects Dorcas, as Peter is is praying for. It's a miracle of of healing, actually. And well, this (laughs) creates quite a stir, That really kind of energizes the mission of that little house church. Lots of people start coming to faith in Jesus, and Peter goes, hmm, maybe I'll stick around here for a little while and see what else happens. So, he stays with a man named Simon, different Simon, Hebrew name that Peter also has, Simon, this Simon, is a leather worker or a tanner. He must have done well financially because he's got a big enough house for lots of house guests. We, it's very likely that it's Simon's house where the followers of Jesus would gather in Joppa uh, for their prayers and Lord's Supper and fellowship and, and teaching and, and for Sunday worship. So now uh, there's Peter with Simon in the house and then, you know, 24 hours after they had left Caesarea Maritime, this little three-person group from Cornelius shows up knocking at the door and Peter, as you just read, invites them in. They spend the night and then the next morning uh, they send them back out, uh, but with others. So um, we read in verse 23, Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. Um, it's interesting how Peter's taken up sort of the role of host in Simon's house. Uh, the next day, he got up, that's Peter, and went with them. That's the three from Cornelius. And, and here, catch this some, some of the believers from Joppa accompanied uh, Peter. This kind of like a 24 hour journey back up north. They'll have to spend the night along the way. Now, um, by my count, <clears throat> Uh, There are six people who go with Peter, and I say that because if you flip over to Acts 11 verse 12, um, Peter retells the story and he actually mentions that there were six believers who went with him uh, from that little house church in Joppa. So if I'm reading Luke right, and hang with me just for one more minute, there are three who don't know Jesus, coming down from Cornelius, who are invited into a relationship with seven who do, um, and it could even be more than that, in Simon's house, and in the morning, 10, at least 10, go back up on this journey. Um, 10 people in various stages of belief and unbelief, they go through the door in Joppa. Okay, so nobody goes through a door alone. Who cares? Well, there's a principle here. It's a principle that's true then and it's true now and it's true for the followers of Jesus. Nobody follows Jesus alone. Nobody does, and I'm so sorry for those of you who are introverts and individualists. I'm a recovering individualist and a proud introvert. I would love to be able to follow Jesus alone. Me and Jesus, it would be so good, right? V- admit it, yeah, we're a city of introverts. We all kinda wanna go with Jesus alone, but nobody goes with Jesus alone, and nobody finds Jesus alone. It just doesn't happen that way. Not in the scriptures, anyways. It takes a visible body to experience an invisible God. Think about that. Because how have we been doing the last couple of years? <laughs> oh my gosh. Remember COVID? The last couple of years, the doors of the church have been closed. These doors, those doors, they've been closed, and we've all been going alone. Now, if you were with us last week, I told you about Clark from Ballard, you know, the guy that canceled me. I'm, I'm still wounded. <laughs> Um, But what we learned, Clark came from New York City, been in Seattle three years, and he still says, after three years, I'm still all by myself, right? I'm alone. What I want to say is, in some sense, we're all Clark from Ballard now. We are, right? We've all experienced some level of church disruption and disillusionment these last few years. We've all experienced church disruption. I mean, unless unless you're brand new to Jesus, you probably have been going to church from time to time. It's been part of your life in some way. The rhythms and practices of Christian life in a corporate way, the connections in the body of Christ, they were very much a part of your life. And then two years ago, bam, the door slams on all of that and the connecting tissue in the body of Christ starts to loosen and the the habits that were forming your life in, in, in the corporate spiritual disciplines of of following Jesus, just they're not there anymore, and they get replaced by other habits. We found other things to do with that time. And now, in some ways, we're going alone. Not just disruption, but also disillusionment. I think this is true, particularly true of those of us who are young, or minorities, or some women. We have seen the last several years the way the church has showed up in the media or the way the church has not showed up in the media and we have been disillusioned. It just does not seem to reflect Jesus. And so we start to ask ourselves, well, what? If that's what church is, I mean, I know it's not Jesus. Maybe I just don't need church and could just follow and have Jesus. So disruption and disillusionment. I'm reminded a little bit of, do you, do you ever read the Screwtape letters and this guy Screwtape who's like a tempter says, try to get their minds to flip between a phrase, the body of Christ on the one hand, and then the other people that all week long they've been trying to avoid but show up at church. Right? He says, like the guy with the oily face or the odd clothes or the squeaky boots, so just take a moment now and look around the room. Look around the room. I mean, you go, body of Christ? Are you kidding me? These people? Right? I think I'd rather go my own way. <clears throat> But here's the reality, and I just wanna remind you of this, we're made for community, you and me. We're made for community. We grow in community. People find God in community. This is not optional. Remember, God said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. First thing that's not good in the Bible, and it's not good for the woman to be alone either. St. Paul said to the church in Corinth, the eye cannot say to the hand, you know what, I have no need of you. (laughs) And he says to Rome, the church in Rome, we are one body in Christ and we are members of one another. Wow. The letter to the Hebrews says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. Apparently that's not a new issue. I was talking to somebody at the door not long ago and and they were just so happy to be back and they said, George, I just think we've kind of gotten comfortable. We're kind of, kind of comfortable with the way we've been living these last couple of years. Church and our PJs got too easy. And they're just kind of thinking about, well, it was so good to be back. I mean, they were, they were saying the singing, like, what we just experienced. I mean, even just the doxology. It sounds so great to hear the voices of other people of faith reverberating off of these walls back into my soul. I mean, we, and we forget that. We forget the power of the singing. We, we forget the power of... The little sidebar conversations that you have on the stairs or in the hall, you know, with young and old, the, the laughter, the kids running between your legs when you're trying to carry two cups of coffee, the aroma of coffee in the uh, building, friends new and old that just happen to show up on Sunday, the little bits of wisdom that you take away from a bit of a conversation that you have some I mean, we haven't had that, but when you come back and you're like, "Oh my gosh, where have you been? I, f- I forgot." Oh, community. Somebody said to me, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna call all the people that used to sit in the pew around me and tell them, it's time to come back, I need you around me. Uh, I love that idea. See, this is the difference between a diagram of coffee and a warm cup of coffee in your hands, you get it? Now let me just say, with respect to this story, if you could find Jesus alone, if anyone could find Jesus alone, Cornelius would be the guy. Right? Because, I mean, he's motivated, he's pious, he's praying, he's there, and he gets an angel showing up. I mean, can you do better than that? I don't want George. I want an angel, right? Give me an angel. I mean, our live stream is good, but having an angel, that's next level media. I mean, an angel showing up and saying, Cornelius. So if it could work that way, the angel would not have had to say to Cornelius, i got, I got to have you send for a believer down, down, down in Joppa. And if it could work that way, then the people down in Joppa, would. Peter said, we can't let you go alone. We've got to go with you. We've got to set a representative little community of circle of friends, of people of faith, they've got to go with you, because we sense that Jesus is doing something in Caesarea. And we've got to be a part of it, because we know that people find Jesus in community. That's what we're seeing in this beautiful little story some believers go with Peter. The body of Christ goes with Peter. By the way, that's why we put community in everything we do at UPC, or at least we try to. Our purpose is to form groups that help people find Jesus. I don't think I can say it any shorter than that. I mean, right now that's my elevator speech. Our purpose is to form groups that help people find Jesus. So let me show you a few slides. First of all, here's our mission statement. Let's just become familiar with this. We're a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors. Remember last week, Peter and Cornelius will both walk away from this encounter, changed people. Where? At the University of Washington, in our neighborhoods, wherever God has put you, you're on assignment, and all around the world. And you notice, family of communities, Communities means you're not alone. You don't go alone, you don't do this alone. You never do this alone. And family, that describes the character. This is one of our values, living as family. And this, is, this means we belong to one another. It means we do life together. Not just meet for, for Bible studies, we live Together as, as a family we should live. Remember Jesus? When, he says, When you come to faith in me, when you put your trust in me, something mysterious happens through the Holy Spirit. You are born again. It's like you're born from heaven, second time. And you come into a spiritual life. And with that, you come into a spiritual family, kingdom family. So, I mean, what we're doing in these groups in some part is just like reparenting, because this is not your family of origin. <laughs> we do things differently. We do things now in this family, Jesus' way. And we've got to learn how to do that, because most of us didn't have families like that that's where the transformation starts to happen, when we really treat each other like brothers and sisters, children of God in a new family. So that's part of our, that's the character of our communities. But what do we, that's kind of a network around Puget Sound of these little micro-communities, trying to figure out what it means to live with Jesus in this way. We put community in our mission. This is the way we describe it on our website. Uh, If you look at our website right now, you'll see a little scheme like this. Uh, Caring for neighbors in community like Jesus. This is how we live. This is aspirational language. We we, want to live this way. Caring for neighbors in community like Jesus. How do we do that? That's what we're wrestling with. Now one of the ways that we describe our strategy, our strategy for doing this is we call it formational community. And I know nobody knows what that means. but We like that because we get to give it our own meaning. Let me show you a slide that gives us a picture of what we mean by formational community. We're basically saying as followers of Jesus, we feel bound to hold together or to integrate three great biblical mandates. Formation as disciples, mission for neighbors, and community like family. When you live in the center of that Venn diagram, we call it formational community. Formation, you're being changed, formation. Uh, you're, you're on mission for neighbors. You're going to bless and love neighbors in concrete ways. And you're doing it with others in community. We believe we find Jesus in the middle of that, at the heart of that. We wanna live there as much as we can. We believe our neighbors find Jesus when we live there with Jesus, joining him in the center. So this is a picture of our strategy. We really call it a lifestyle. It's not so much a type of a group as it is a way of to live. We have to create groups around this. Um, but here's our definition of the lifestyle. Uh, well, before I go that way, just let me just show you the arrow. You can't read it. Uh, on the left it says "gather with us." On the right it says "believe with us." Because we're all on this faith continuum, right? We gather together to figure out who is Jesus, and eventually we help each other believe. Gather with us to believe with us. Because so here's our definition of formational com- uh, community in text form. Formational community is a way of life occurs when circles of friends live as family on mission for their neighbors being formed as disciples in the process. You can take a picture of that or a screenshot of that if you want to reflect on that later. But one way of saying this is you have to think that this means that you belong before you believe. It's kind of a paradigm shift in the church. We realize in a post-Christian society, people aren't running around asking, what time is the worship service and will they have an organ? Um, you know, they're not asking, what must I do to be saved? Your neighbors are probably not going to ask you that question. And even if they did, they wouldn't necessarily believe your answer. They've got to see it lived out. And so well, the, the paradigm shift is from you belong before you believe to uh, from believe before you belong to you belong before you believe. Experience this family, join us in community, and then you'll see the one who makes it possible. The problem today isn't just that people don't know that much about Jesus. The problem today is also that they've never really seen Jesus' teachings lived out in an authentic, credible, and inviting way. And that's, that's what we're shooting for. I mentioned earlier in the service Leslie Newbigin, a great missionary, and he writes this. The primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. That's the sound of my mind blowing. This is very countercultural right now. People are not looking, they're not valuing the Christian congregation. And yet Newbegin says this is the only way to make public impact, Christian impact on the public life. The Christian congregation. How is it possible, he asks, that the gospel should be credible and that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? <laughs> That's a good question. The only answer... The only hermeneutic of the gospel, in other words, what he means by that is the only way the gospel will ever make sense to modern people is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. That's the gospel in a pluralist society, a book that I recommend. So what is he saying? He's saying, you know, the only way that you and I and the only way that our neighbors can make any sense of all this Jesus talk is if they see Jesus lived out in a visible community. And remember, this is Jesus' teaching. Jesus says himself in the high priestly prayer, John 17, he says, oh Father, the world will believe that you sent me, how? By our unity, our unity. When we do life together, Jesus expects that the world will get a window into the nature and mission of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And he says in John 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Oh man, I wish the bar weren't quite that high. Love for one another. It's so beautiful, it's so challenging, but that's the way, Jesus says. And by the way, by extension from that one another, the love one another, all the other one another's, and there are over 100 of them, forgive one another, comfort one another, admonish one another, pray for one another, have fellowship with one another. These are things you just can't do alone. You can't go there by yourself. Nobody can go there. So I need uh, alone, I, I need you to go with me and you need me to go with you and Clark needs all of us to go together in some way. So that's why I say our purpose is to form groups that help people find Jesus. It takes a circle of authentic love to make God's love tangible. It takes a visible body to experience an invisible God. So you're doing yourself a favor, really. I mean, when you connect with others, you give God an opportunity to connect with you. This is good for you. And let me tell you a story that kind of illustrates that. So I never actually met my father-in-law. 32 years ago, I married my wife, Anne, and before I even met her, her father-in-law died tragically in a car crash. So I never, I never met him, but I feel like I know him today. And let me tell you how that happened. I mean, yes, I've seen pictures and stuff like that, but it was really 32 years I was welcomed into this family a little bit, who's this weird guy, George, with duct tape on his shoes. You know, they, they, They tolerated me. Immediately they could tell I was from a different universe, certainly a different family. I could tell they were very different from my family of origin. So there were some adjustments there, but I'm studying them. I'm studying Anne, my new wife. I'm studying her younger brother, David, her older brother, Pete. I'm studying her mother, and I'm starting to notice they have some things in common, don't they? I mean, just occasionally I'd see something like a way of communicating, or not communicating, or um, a preference, or a facial expression, or, Uh, a little giggle, these quirky little things, and I go, the things that they share in common that aren't in any one individual that I can see in this circle of family must have come from some other member that's not here. And I could see in the children and the spouse, the husband and father, that I never met. He was showing up for me in this family. So now I feel like I really do have a sense of this great man, George Hunsinger, though I never had an opportunity to meet him myself. He's had an impact on my life. In 1 Corinthians 11, St. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We all imitate, and that's a good thing. But then immediately he goes on the next chapter to talk about the body of Christ. Imitate as I imitate, but, but make sure the body of Christ is part of that. And here's why I think he's saying this. Keep keep in mind my story of my, of my in-laws. If you just get me, George, I'm trying to imitate Christ and then you try to imitate me imitating Christ, that's good as far as it goes. But someday, let's say decades later, you're gonna look a lot like me, praise God. <laughs> right? But you might not look so much like Jesus. And the goal is not to look like George. I, you know, I have to remind myself. But if you come into community with me, and you see me, and you see her, and you see him, and you see them, and you, and, you, and you notice the diversity in our differences, but there's some things that you begin to see kind of in common that keep showing up in the whole group. You, you see love, and joy, and peace, Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and you realize, oh my gosh, the things that are not unique to any individual but that are shared by all of them, maybe, just maybe, that reflects the one behind this community, the one I can't see. And as you imitate them, you don't end up imitating just an individual or looking like any one person in that group, you end up looking like Jesus. And that is the goal. And you realize one day, oh my gosh, he's here. He's here, even in this group. I mean, God is making His appeal through this group, through us. When you connect with others, you give God an opportunity to connect with you. Listen again what Luke says. He says, some of the believers, this is uh, verse 23, some of the believers from Joppa accompanied Peter. Now you may see a footnote in your text, and I'm putting a little bit of a bracket there because I want you to know that the actual Greek word that, that Luke uses is the word, literal word for brothers. It doesn't say believers. But our New Revised Standard Version says believers because they want us to know this is an inclusive term. These believers were male and female. They were brothers and uh, sisters. But he uses the name believers. So I just I want to. Take that moment for you to notice, he's using family language. It's So important to see that. The metaphor here is family, and that's what rocked the ancient world. They had not had this notion. We say brother, sister, mother, father. They they didn't talk that way with each other. For them, uh, this was radical, and it redefined the social fabric of the day to start talking about family. Brothers and sisters. So you know you do want to ask the question, well, does this include women or are these just guys? And the answer is yes. The word brothers for them, it's gendered language, but they viewed it as inclusive. And the way to see that, if you want just one place, you can see it in many places. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 40. And there in the original Greek, Luke uses just the word brothers, although it's translated gender neutrally for us. It just says brothers, and who is he talking about? Obviously, there in the context, you can tell he's talking about Lydia, who was the founder of the church in Philippi and the women with whom she had prayed when the Apostle Paul shared good news. So yes, Lydia is a brother. Now today, we, t- we, we, we know so many people have been excluded by language like that, and so we want to be explicit about those, and we, so it's better to translate, I believe brothers and sisters. But I just want you to know that the character of this community, was male and female, and that's one of the things that drove people to faith in Jesus when they saw how they treat women. Uh, It was was very countercultural. So, for example, Dorcas, I want to just go back to Dorcas or Tabitha, that was her Hebrew name. She's the woman who died in that house church in Joppa. I believe she was the leader of the church. And I'll tell you why I think that. First of all, Luke introduced her as a person with great reputation, Second of all, this is the only place in the New Testament that we see the female word for disciple, the only place to describe Dorcas. It's as though she's almost like one of the 12. And then thirdly, when she dies, it's not just like a loss, people are sad, it's like a crisis for the church. They go, where's the nearest apostle? We're now lost, we've lost our leader. That, that's why I think Dorcas is actually the leader of that community. So are you getting the character of this? I and mean, this is a community that, that elevates women. And by the way, the whole point of this story, if you know it, you'll see it in a moment, I mean in a couple of weeks, is that it's a multi-ethnic community. A multi, all the nations and ethnicities of the earth are represented in these little groups. The economic div- diversity, the, the, the wealthy and the, and the uh, under-resourced, it's a community of economic generosity. It's a, we have single people, and we have married people, we have young and old. The wealthy man is opening the door for the poorest of the servants and washing their feet. And it's, This is a queer kind of counterculture and it's beautiful to behold. This is the new family of Jesus. The word they would have used at the time for that is oikos, it's the Greek word for family, for house, or for household. And you see that, and we don't have time to look at it today, but it begins in Acts chapter two, following the model of Jesus who gathered a group of 12 men and other women around him. They do this in houses across Jerusalem, house by house they gathered, Luke tells us. And the Lord adds to their number daily. Nobody goes through a door alone. They put community in their mission. When you connect with others, you give God an opportunity to connect with you. Okay, so I hope this is what you're hearing today. It takes a visible body to experience an invisible God. So finally, let me just ask about you. How are you doing in your corporate experience of Jesus? Who are your people? Do you know? Could you tell the person next to you? These are my people. And if your people were to answer that question, would you be in their list? Do they know that they're your people? Do they know that you're their people? How do you connect with believers? I'm talking about now, not three years ago, but now. How how are you living out the one another's with other believers, with brothers and sisters? What's it like to be family to one another? Well, reflect on those questions this week, but here's the invitation. This week the invitation is invitation. I want us to do exactly what Peter does. Look at Acts 10, verse 23. So Peter invited them. He invited them. And that's what we need to do for one another. We need to invite. Come on over, come with, come in. Now you may need to begin with yourself. You may need to invite yourself in to Jesus or to regular worship and you could start with a live stream that's a great place to begin it's safe for many people or you maybe need to invite yourself back to in person worship like it's time I'm going to invite myself I'm going to come next week or invite yourself into a group our open groups right now are all meeting here in Larson Hall on Sunday between the services 9:45 to 10:30 we're doing immerse together join a group but you may also have an opportunity and I pray that you will that each and every one is to invite somebody else in Invite a sister or a brother in the faith. Maybe that's a coffee. Maybe you'll get together and actually hold that cup of coffee together and you'll remember uh, what we learned today in this passage. Maybe it's a meal. You're going to have a meal anyways. Why not invite somebody to come and just eat your food with you and make a connection with them? Maybe you're going to invite someone to come back with you to worship. Maybe you think about who used to sit around you and you give them a call and say, hey, it's time for you to come back. We miss you here. We love you. Maybe it's time to re-up that small group, or start a new small group. It's time to connect, you'd say to one another. Invitation, whatever it is. Find a way to make one invitation this week. Activate the family of Jesus. We need each other, do we not? We need each other. Remember the lesson of the coffee diagram. It's time for 3D, flesh and blood, handshakes and hugs. We can only go so far with podcasts, pictures, memories, and ideas. So finally, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus, our Savior, and the cross. I think all of us have experienced a death in the family. As Leslie Newbigin says, the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. And I know for some the cross doesn't mean much, but not for you, not for us. When we gather around the cross of Jesus in each other's presence and look into each other's eyes, there is a power. Leslie Newbigin says. When I'm in a circle with you, I see you, I see all of, in the circle, I see the differences, I love it, and then I see something in common. And there's a moment of recognition, oh my gosh, I, I've never seen him, but I do know my Father in heaven. I know him. And then, oh my, he's here right now. He's here, isn't he? Remember, one of my favorite quotes, Oxford fellow Austin Farrow said, we are all members of one another, and one of us is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, through the Holy Spirit, we pray now in the name of Jesus, the firstborn brother in this new family. We thank you so much for the reality that you put the isolated or lonely in families and that You've made us into a body, and that You're present with us when we are together with one another. We pray that You'll pour out Your Holy Spirit and refresh our experience, that You'll tighten the bonds that draw us together. The the connective tissue and ligaments in the body of Christ, that they would be rebuilt. Lord, we think of the question that You asked long ago, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And we say, yes, we know that they can. Put them together, sinew to sinew, bone to bone, muscle to muscle. Let the skin come. Breathe the breath of heaven into our lungs that we might be the visible expression of Jesus Christ in our own time and place. Oh, how the world needs to see Him. How we need to see Him. So, draw us together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.